Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Cashing out the flight of Nazi treasure. By the end of 1945, January 1945, it was clear that Germany, to Germany that the war was lost. The Third Reich was in freefall and its leaders, apart from those clustered around Hitler and his Berlin bunker, sought to abscond before they were besieged, but they wanted to take their wealth with them. What happened next is the fascinating story uh, of the flight of Nazi treasure. It is called Cashing Out. It's by uh, Neil Lockery. Neil, good morning to you. Good morning, Giles. Good to have you with us. This is absolute. This is the sort of stuff that absolutely hits all my buttons because people think, okay, so you know Hitler blows his brains out in a bunker in Berlin, and that's the war over. But the repercussions from what you know, not if you like, not if you like the the most infamous names, you know, your Goerings, your your Bullmans, your Himmlers. This is this is the this is the, the like the the mid ranking or high to mid ranking officials who decide to get their uh, ill-gotten gains somewhere safe and it's and it's 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 better than a than a bond movie isn't it well it's a i think it's a fascinating story giles it's it's one in which you you see essentially as you say the sort of middle ranking leadership um of the nazis effectively realizing that that their game is up round about january february uh, 1945 and start making their exit uh, plans. Not everyone, as you said, wanted to stay in Berlin and blow their brains out with with Hitler. So they effectively wanted to try and get themselves out. And crucially, as you say, their ill-gotten gains. And their ill-gotten gains included looted art. Much of it was degenerate art, as the Nazis identified it. Um, you know, this was art, Giles, that was supposed to have been destroyed in the 1930s just as they destroyed books. And uh, one or two of them, in particular Goering, worked out very early on, do you know what? We can make lots of money out of selling this. And and they sold it uh, even during World War II. And I should say that America was a very lucrative market for for this art from the Nazis up until America joining the war. But at the end of the war, the Germans really, you know, wanted to get looted art out, Nazi gold, which had been looted from the central banks of France, Holland, Belgium, and Eastern European countries as well. And sadly, of course, from the Jewish victims of the Holocaust, gold rings, uh, wedding bands, etc., taken out. So, you know, very important. This just shows, and this just shows something uh, about the ideology of the Nazi party as opposed to its to its actual day-to-day goings-on because they put themselves up as this race of Aryan superheroes, unblemished, going forward with the Third Reich, etc. Supermen and superwomen, right? And they have this they have this exhibition of degenerate art, Otto Dix, etc. And then they have, running alongside it, they have an exhibition of Nazi-approved art, which is just as, as as bad as you can imagine it is. All these sort of like, you know, all this, you know, this quasi-pagan Nordic mythology and Superman yeah. around the planet. You know, it's it's quite kitsch, actually. But then, as they all do, because 
There is no unity in, in the party. They are all backstabbing, fighting. They're all trying to get in Hitler because Hitler is there. Hitler is so off his head by this point that he's he sees enemies everywhere, and they're all trying to get their little fiefdoms, like the bunch of psychotic criminals they are. And that artwork is something they think, right? I'm taking that, even though it's being pilfered uh, and and you know large scale destruction of or not destruction, but large scale you know stealing, basic looting, and, and then they think, right? Well, we you know you know forget forget dying you know forget to making the last stand and not one centimeter going to the to the bolsheviks or whatever or the soviets but i'm going to take my i'm going to take my otto dix painting and, and, and i'll and i'll see you in paraguay yeah exactly and and i think i think perhaps the key man in all this was the head of german intelligence a man called walter schellingberg who was a an officer who realized as early as 1941 that the germans weren't going to win the war and certainly from 1942, started to prepare for Germany to lose the war. I mean, when all the German officers were thrusting out their chests, talking about their great successes in the East, Schellingberg, the head of German intelligence, was preparing for a defeat. And part of that preparation, of course, meant that he was starting to organize, you know, people with looted art and gold, etc., how to get it out. And the neutral countries, Spain, Portugal, Sweden, and of course, Switzerland, were all, you know, huge markets for, for the exit of, of, of the Nazi treasure, which most of which, as we know, ended up either in Swiss vaults or in Argentina. So how do they go, you know, when, when does the first sort of shipments or things start to, start, start to, 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 to leave Germany and how? And obviously you can't, you can't, the, 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 presumably these art pieces of artwork aren't framed. I mean, they're taking them, they're cutting them out of the, out of the frames and, and wrapping them in maps and stuff like that. So as, and, and stuffing them in the most incongruous of places so that they don't get uh, caught out. Well, I think the, probably the, the, the key starting date, and you know, you can argue about this, but for me, the key starting date was D-Day. And then I think a number of, senior Nazis, including Goering. And Goering was the godfather of looted art. He was the man who everything ran ran through. And um, he started to export art from really um, mid-1944 onwards. There was one example where he used one of his agents, a very shady character called Alios Maidel. And if you read my book, you'll, you'll, you'll see a lot more about, about him. He effectively exported a lot of art out, first of all, to Spain, where they tried to sell it. Maidel driving two big American Cadillacs crossed the border from from, uh, France into Spain. He got captured a couple of times by French resistance, talked his way out of it. And he wasn't trying to hide this in Spain. They put on an exhibition of this art and they they tried to sell it openly on the market. The, The Prado Museum was very interested in buying one of the pieces and eventually pulled out when they got wind of, you know, it's uh, where did it come from. But this was done really quite openly. And so I think really from mid-1944 onwards, you see, you know, senior Nazis trying to get everything out through the neutral countries where they had fantastic contacts. They were bribing customs people not to open crates, etc. So it became this sort of 
I call it the the last great escape of World War Two. Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Because if you're going to if you're going to sort of transport goods, illegal goods or stuff you shouldn't have, if you've got an air force, i.e., the Luftwaffe, with its cargo capacity, that's quite handy. If you've got a network, i.e., the intelligence services, and you've got if you've got sympathetic governments, i.e., Franco, uh, and also you know yeah. the, the 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 gnomes of Zurich who don't really don't care where it comes from as long as it's in their vaults, then you've you know then you're you're ahead of your your average your average art criminal, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the number of flights from Berlin to Barcelona, Madrid, and then on to Lisbon quadrupled in the last year of the war. And British intelligence noted clearly that the weight of the planes was very heavy when they were landing at airports. I mean, they could see this. And in Lisbon, they noted that, you know, uh, gold was unloaded into two trucks. Uh, one truck went to the Bank of Portugal for trade between the Germans and the Portuguese, and the other truck went up the hill to the to the German embassy, where it was stole, uh, stored in a uh, a safe vault that had been built in 1942 by, by by German diplomats there. And you need to add to this as well. I should mention, you know, a lot of it came out in diplomatic bags as well, and and diplomatic bags are are not allowed to be opened, you know, un, under international law. And they smuggled some, particularly gold coins, uh, out of out uh, in that way. But art, once you take it out of a frame, Giles, as you say, it's very easy to transport. You roll it up and you can get, you know, seven, eight priceless canvases, you know, into a, into a nice sort of round, round shape and just shove it under your arm and off you go. Most of them didn't care that this art was worth an absolute fortune. I mean, they cared about the money, but they didn't care about the artistic yeah. value of, of the art. Yeah, let's just let's just get the things one string strike. We're not talking about a bunch of people saying, "Oh, we must save, we must save this early Bauhaus work from those from those yeah. damn Soviets." It's it's purely. Yeah. I mean, they're they're craven, aren't they? They just want. They just want. They just ask. It just shows them yeah. how grubby they are. Yeah, absolutely. Goering, who, as I mentioned, was the godfather of of this operation. He didn't give a heck about any piece of art. He couldn't have told you who the artist was. His only question was to his agents, how much do you think we can get for it? <laughs> yes, indeed. There are several who would say the modern art market is somewhat like the same, but let's not, let, let's not even go there. <laughs> but what it does show is, what I mean, was there a concern? Because I know there's a war on, um, but those within, I mean, there was, there's a, excuse me, there's a huge thing, for example, when war breaks out uh, in 1939, uh, the the national port, the national gallery, of course, moves most of its artwork, well, artwork uh, out to Wales and puts it in, in tunnels and hides it. Not from not from prying Nazi looters, but because from bombs and stuff like that. So it was it was. It was culture was going to be an important thing, and the British government was was looking after their culture. Was there anybody in Whitehall, anybody in Washington, who was thinking, "Hang on a second, we know that there are important works of art that are going missing," or was it, or was it a fact it was like curators from other galleries who knew this? Oh, and was the official responses like, you know, we have we've got the small issue of of finishing a war here whilst you're worried about your about your Rubens? Yeah, it's a good question, and. Um- I think the, the answer is quite simple. Both, both the British and the Americans were acutely aware of, of what was going on. Uh, the Americans had the Roberts Commission that was set up to investigate this. It reported 42-43. And as a result of this, they set up what became known as the Monuments Men. And I'm sure many of your listeners have seen the film The Monuments Men with George Clooney, you know, Brad Pitt, and, uh, uh, Matt Damon, Damon etc., yeah, it's a good film. It's, I mean, it's it, it, if if you're if your listeners haven't seen it, I would I'd recommend having a look at it. 
that is them going into Germany and uncovering art and um, um, gold, etc., in Germany. But that was only really part of the story because a lot of the art and gold had already been moved out of Germany by then into the neutral countries. And this is where things went wrong for the Allies, really. I think the Americans got very triumphalist, saying, oh, we found all this art in Germany. Isn't this wonderful? But the reality was that most of it had already been been moved out. I mean, it's the thing, isn't it? Because they keep, there are these, because as the, na- the natural place for the Germans to flee is, is south. Go back to, go back to the mother node, go back to Munich and Bavaria and Austria. And so, yes, they do find rolled up pieces of artwork, you know, in tubes, in farmhouses and whatever. But the majority, the big stuff has already gone and it's already across the borders. And as, as the second world war finishes and everybody's sort of, Wiping the dust off themselves, the Cold War begins, and and the you know and the the US know it's coming, and the British know it's coming, and so then the main switch is right. Are we going to fight the Soviets? And therefore, if we are going to fight the Soviets, because that's what Churchill is worried about, we better grab you know some of their rocket guys and their scientists, and, and that's where Paperclip comes in before the Soviets do. And so therefore, we're going to turn a sort of blind eye to, to and also with with the, the fall of uh, the end of the Second World War, sort of half meddling fascist states such as, as Spain don't really. It's better to have them. Better have the end of the the idiots you know rather than have them be replaced by anarchists or, or, or socialists. Yeah, I mean, and this is. This was clearly one of the major difficulties in, in tracing uh, Nazi Nazi treasure after 1945 was the shift in priorities and the shift towards dealing with the Cold War. And as you mentioned, Operation Paperclip, the, the taking of um, German personnel, scientists, etc., rocket scientists to America to work on projects related to the American armaments industry and other areas was very important. Um, there was actually um, an actually much more problematic example as well, whereby leading Nazis who committed atrocities in World War II actually were employed by the Allies to work in what became West German intelligence services. And actually, once West Germany was formed as a state, the head of their, their intelligence service was actually a Nazi war criminal. Yep. Um, quite incredible. And he sold himself by effectively gathering information on the Red Army um, and effectively putting together a huge file in World War II of tactics of the Red Army by interviewing every Red Army prisoner the Germans caught. He sold this to the Allies in return for his liberty and eventually his uh, reintegration into German society. I mean, hugely problematic. But again, that's real, as Willie Brandt would call it, and he would call it that, real politics. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, it's you can make moral judgments on it, but there was a Cold War on at the time. And let's remember, Giles, most people in the 1950s thought the Cold War would lead to World War III. Uh, now we know it ends relatively peacefully in 1991, but the perception at the time was this was going to be World War Three. Yeah, we, we didn't know that at the time. Now you also let's because that's one thing, and I, I you know I've I've got 12 minutes, and as you can tell, I could probably keep going to Boxing Day at this rate. But anyway, the thing is, the thing is here. Uh, also, we are talking 
artwork coming out of because a lot of people know about the rat line they will know about going via the Vatican by the Vatican and that's a conversation in itself with Pope Pius yeah. and in his relationship with the Nazis etc or not and then being you know hanging hanging out if you like in in the, in in the Vatican and then being spirited away to Argentina or coming via Spain and Portugal and hanging out for a couple and then ending up in Argentina as well so a, a lot of that happens as well with with, with the with the uh, the artwork isn't it so does it does it sort of hang around in Spain and Portugal and then find itself on a freighter sort of heading towards Buenos Aires? Yes. I mean, uh, sometimes indirectly. Um, there were there were different routes out of Europe. One route out of Europe that we haven't really mentioned is Sweden. Mm. Sweden was a, was, a, was a neutral country, which personally, I think, behaved appallingly during the war. It made enormous profits from trading with the Germans. Walter Schellenberg, head of German intelligence, said, no need for German intelligence operations in Sweden because the Swedes are too loyal to us. We, mm. we don't need to do anything. I think a lot of art came out quietly through Sweden, was transported from Sweden to uh, Bilbao in the north of Spain, uh, where it wasn't customs checked. Bilbao was a three port. And then on to Argentina. Uh, a lot of art came out in the planes we talked about a few minutes ago to Lisbon, to Madrid. And that was subsequently sent in freighters either directly to Argentina or more likely through Brazil. I've just had a thought, which happens very rarely, but here you go. Is... Right, so we're going Spain to Argentina, and one of the major figures, Nazi figures, who found himself a home in Madrid was Os- Otto Scornesi. Does he have a role in this? The, uh, the yes, he yeah, does. Right, yeah, okay. Yeah, his I fig- mean, he had his finger I mean, in everything. I mean, yeah, I mean the 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 rat lines out of Spain, which we're only really now fully starting to understand, were set up systematically in 1984, 1944 by the Argentines using local Nazi contacts there and largely overseen by Walter Schellenberg, again, the head of um, German intelligence uh, and others as well. Uh, This became a very significant route out, specifically, I think, because a lot of the allies were looking at the route you've just described, which is the one through Italy using the Vatican. And let's throw something else in here, Giles. Let's talk about the role of the Catholic Church here as well. Because the role of the the Catholic Church in rat lines was quite incredible. The leading cardinal was in Argentina, leading members of the Catholic Church in Spain, leading members, as you rightly said, of the Catholic Church in Italy, effectively helping the Nazis escape. Why? Because they believed Nazism was a less evil than Bolshevikism, exactly. which would have been a, been a significant challenge to their hegemony within society in Europe. And especially within Spain, where you've seen the Spanish Civil War, which has seen the destruction and execution of priests, of, of priests and nuns and all sorts of horrendous, on both sides, atrocities between the Republicans and the Nationalists. And therefore, yeah. it puts, excuse the pun, it puts the fear of God into the Catholic Church, the rise of the communists. So they will help anybody who's anti-communist. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. And this wasn't just a few mavericks in the Catholic Church. This went right to the very top. Um, you mentioned the Pope, but in Spain and Argentina and Portugal as well, leading cardinals involved uh, in this, uh, providing cover for for Nazis to to escape. And I think the role of the Catholic Church was was really quite quite incredible in this. 
Just for those who are scratching their head going, who, who is this Otto chap? Uh, Otto, Otto, Otto Skazeni is, is one of the most outrageous cases because he is the guy who is, uh, Hit, he, he, he's Hitler's person, if you like, Hitler's favourite soldier. He's the guy who flies Mussolini out in a daring raid out when his Mussolini is captured by the Italians. Uh, he then, some, he's in the Battle of the Bulge. He, he dresses up in, uh, German troops as uh, US Marines and causes havoc uh, behind the lines. And then he finds himself strange enough, in Madrid, where he's not touched. And he, in fact, gets so involved with everything that's going on, he ends up getting the contract to build the U.S. bases, the U.S. airstrip in Zaragoza. I mean, it's outrageous what he got away with. And he lived in full, literally in plain sight in Madrid and Mallorca until his death in 1973, yeah. I think it was. But, again, the high, perhaps the highest profile of, of those who should have been brought to justice, <laughs> but yet were allowed to live to a... Uh, to, uh, and a, you know, to a, I was say ripe old age, but, to the, but again, it just goes to show how strong those links were and people, you know, the, the, the fear against the Soviets at the time. Yeah. And I think, I think that's one very good example. There are many other examples as well of Nazis who cut deals with the Allies and not only cut deals with the Allies, cutting a deal for your liberty is one thing, Giles, but actually making money out of it. You mentioned the building of the airstrip. Several other other Nazis uh, went on to win lucrative contracts uh, in mining in in Africa, South Africa, Angola, linked to Portugal. And, you know, they didn't live uh, a a quiet, poor retirement. They lived a very prosperous, successful economic retirement, continuing to trade as sort of legitimate inverted commerce businessmen. So... It, the artworks we've got six. We've only got seven minutes, so let's go. Let's go for it. We go, so the art ends up in Argentina. What? Obviously, Argentina. Yeah, are we in Peron? Are we in the Peron era at this point? Yeah, we are. We are. Right, we okay. Are. So therefore, you know. I don't care if you like Madonna. It wasn't like that, okay? <laughs> you know, there were, <laughs> David Essex was not che, che Guevara was not David Essex and vice yeah. versa. Okay, so yeah. again, Nazi regime. Basically, uh, we know there are some ridiculous scenes going on there. How does how do um how do how do we track it down, Neil? How do you, how do you track all this down? Because I don't want to tell them the whole story. Because I want them to go and buy the book and you know and, and read it. Because it's going to you know because it's on my list. So. Well, well, I think I I, I think we've tracked it down as much as we can through. And this is an unfinished story, Giles. Let's be honest. I mean, this is unfinished history from World War Two. And there are large chunks of this which we still haven't discovered. But we've we've tracked art going out to Argentina. We've tracked art being sold in private auctions in Argentina. And there were two kinds of sales. One sale was to the state, uh, to the Argentine state and Many of these pieces end up in sort of um, sort of museums, either in Buenos Aires or out in the regions, places like Cordoba, etc. And then there was a private sales in Argentina. Now, Argent- the Argentine middle class liked a good bit of European art. It was a kind of social status, an indication of their position within Argentine society. So they were very keen, you know, to have their dinner parties with a couple of pieces of degenerate European art on the walls. And they were willing to pay money, had money to pay for it. And therefore, it became a sort of very lucrative market in in buying this up. Because these people had connections, many of them to to the Perón administration, of course, the police didn't do anything. The police turned a complete blind eye to anything that was going on in these auctions. And there was no paperwork, no tax uh, form submitted, which makes tracing it all all the harder. But we know, 
you know, still today, many sort of middle class, upper class Argentine houses are, are full of, of looted European art. And remember, Giles, sorry, just, yeah. just, just remember one, one important statistic. You know, one in five pieces of European art was looted in the war. Wow. Twenty percent of twenty percent of European art was was looted, and that doesn't account also for the fact that, you know, in terms of quality, you know, that's only mm-hmm. a quantification figure. But in terms of quantity, I think the figure was even higher. So if you're talking about masterworks, I mean, there, the figure was enormous, and most of the looting was actually done from individual collections rather than national collections. But just think about that figure from a one in five pieces of art and treasure in Europe at the start of World War II ended up being looted. As I said before, it, it, it's, 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 not an, it's not an ideology. It's, it's a kleptocracy, isn't it? Let's just grab everything we can yeah. to finance ourselves. It's, I mean, presumably there are still significant pieces still missing then that we still don't know where they are, Neil. Yeah, there's, well, there's, there's at least 100,000 pieces probably more that are unaccounted for. Now, we have to say two things here. One, the Swiss, who really don't have an ounce of any morality in their, in their veins when it comes to these issues, um, a, lot, a lot of this art is still hidden in Swiss safe vaults, of which we have little or no chance of gaining access uh, to, to find. And we know the Germans put it there because they were, they were watched by British intelligence and American intelligence, and we have some idea as to where some of it is, but, but we can't get in, but we can't get in to find it. We mentioned Argentina, where some of it's still, you know, stashed away. And of course, some of it was destroyed. I mean, you know, Hitler gave orders at the end of the war to, to, to destroy all, all the art. It wasn't carried out, but one or two nutters within the Nazi movement actually did try and destroy some. Uh, so we have to we have to say that, you know, some will, some will be missing forever, mm. but there's still much, much work to, to do to trace that as that's been sort of hidden in Switzerland, etc. and Argentina. And of course, the, the, there are those work from private collections from families that were wiped out, you know, either intention, yeah. intentionally in the Holocaust or unintentionally in mass bombings. Um, and so those will never go back. And obviously the, the wealth, etc., yeah, I mean, we have very sad examples, you know, of, you know, um, uh, examples of heirs, if there are any heirs, surviving heirs, trying to challenge ownership of art, which has been either stolen. And um, one thing is very important, I know we're running out of time, Charles, but one thing is very important is to get a definition of looted art in here, because not all art was stolen by the Germans. Often they bought some pieces of art, but at prices that were very low, i.e. forcing people to sell. People had to sell for reasons, you know, of, of finance. And that is something that we need to sort of put put, put in this sort of wider yeah. definition of how, how we look at looted art. Because if you've got no income, and as if you're a Jewish family in whatever, and you've exactly, got no income, exactly. they're going to come to you and say, right, we want that piece of artwork, and we yeah. know it's worth X, well, we're going to give you X divided by 8,000, yeah. so you get a pittance for it. But also very smart Jews actually sold when they saw the rise of the Nazis in 1933, 34. Mm. They had, they had, and they started to, you know, receive, be on the receiving end of the Nazi Jewish policies. They, they, they sold, uh, at reduced prices, not market prices. And, th- and, and, and this is another issue that we need to look at as well. 
Well, I might get you back on for that one then because I've enjoyed this, but yeah. I've, got, I've got a minute and three left. So the book is called Cashing Out, The Flight of Nazi Treasure, 1945 to 1948. It is by uh, Neil Lockerty, who's been here today. Neil, if people want to find you online, uh, is there a website? Do you do the... Do you do, yeah, um, neil Um And they can find me, everything through my website there. Um, and we have a link to to contact me if people want to ask me any questions about about this fascinating oh, I've topic. Got, I've got a few. Don't worry about that, my <laughs> yeah. friend. Uh, and also, the, you can order the book via our own virtual bookstore. We're going to run out of time. As I said before, I could talk about this, dear listeners, until until probably about Boxing Day. But I'll have to I'll have to go and buy the book. And I used to do it as well. The book is called Cashing Out: uh, The Flight of Nazi Treasure. It's by Neil Lockery. Neil, thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Thank you, Giles. Thank you.